So we've been messaged on Facebook and various other social media platforms that a lot of people have bought games uh, that we've recommended recently. The Grizzled by yeah. uh, who bought that one? Uh, that was Ryan Mannix. Ryan Mannix bought the Grizzled, and we're, we're good with that. And uh, we're not an ads podcast yet, right? And we recommend stuff because we genuinely like it. And so, um, if capitalism's going to exist, that's the way I best like it existing. So, to word of mouth, amen. And, and to those brave souls trying the Grizzled, indeed, yes, yeah. you'll need it. <laughs> Hey, everybody. I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer. And this is the Mix 6 Podcast, where we drink six beers, rate them on a five-point scale, and then have six conversations not really related to the beers at all. Right. Or uh, anything. We are your two talking meeples, uh, straight out of Springfield, uh, bringing it to you. Uh, and uh, we just want to say, before we get started, thank you to all our patrons that make this possible. Um, you, if you're listening to this, you may or may not be one of them. Uh, if you're not, we still love you. Right. But, Thanks for listening. Uh, our patrons allow us to be here. So you should thank them as well we shouldn't have a circle of thanks just circulating just many, over the internet many hand slap congratulations congratulations yes right. yeah, yeah exactly uh but we got to talk about our five point rating system first so spencer you came up with this one drop it on me absolutely as you know if you've listened before we rate our beers on a five point scale one being the worst beer and by extension the worst thing on the scale five being the best beer something which has changed your life for the positive and this week we're keeping it kind of simple we're going to use a rating system based on days of the week Okay, so days that make you feel really good. But only five of them. Only five of them. I understand that there are seven. That's how numbers work. Okay? <laughs> uh, so uh, a one, which is a day that is just awful. And you and I disagree with this a little bit. Yes. But I, I see where you're coming from. A one for me, arguably the worst day of the week is Monday. Mm-hmm. In your mind, the worst day of the week is Sunday. Hands down. Sunday right. is by far the worst day of the week. Right. I get that. And I get where you're coming from because there's this existential dread of Monday on Sunday. For me, it's the way As a teacher, up. it's a work day. Right. That... I get no sympathy for totally and good. have no camaraderie with except other teachers. Absolutely. So it's like all the Mondays except Garfield doesn't even make jokes about it. Right. It's like it's 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 the subaltern right. of terrible days. Right. It's invisibly terrible. It's the Monday uh, without the opportunity to be a good Monday. Yeah. 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 I get that. But on this rating scale, uh, Monday <laughs> is a one is what okay. we've decided yeah. here. All right. All right. Um, a two, this is a, this is like a beer that's like not the worst beer you've ever had, but like you're really not excited about this beer. You'd rather not have this beer. A two for me is Wednesday. Yeah. Um, like Wednesday's just not great. You know what I mean? You're looking back at the first half of the week and you're like, well, that's done. But holy There's shit, too much left to go. I still got a There's lot left. There's too much of this beer left. That's right. I still got a lot left before things are getting better. A three, which is like your middle of the road, you know, you're okay drinking it. It's there in front of you. No big deal. That's a Thursday. Mm-hmm. Thursday for me is like the average of the week. You can start putting shit off to next week. That's right. Thursday. You can start putting shit off. You could even start thinking about like what beers you're going to have too many of the next day. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, you know, there's some real, the real upside to Thursday, but it's not enough for you to get out of bed and be like, fuck yes, it's Thursday. You yeah, know what I mean? No. Now these next two beers are beers where it's hard to get out of bed and not be excited that you've and reached I, this I think day. you guessed four and five right. listeners. The question might be in what order you put four and five. Yeah. For me, a four, which is a beer that really moves the needle in the positive way, but isn't life-changing as a Friday. Yeah. You still got to work. So you're, you're deprioritizing the anticipation. That's right. That's right. Of a Friday. That's right. For the actual event. The actual event, yeah. which is a five Saturday. Yes. Yeah. You know, and in a lot of instances, at least for me, Saturday is, is a promised land because I, you know, I don't have to work and whatever work I'm doing, I've probably chosen to do, which is nice. Like six, for instance. Some privilege there. I get that. Occasionally yeah. recorded on Saturday. That's right. I.e. today. You yes. know what I mean? 
Um, also, no consequences uh, for you know having too much fun on a Saturday. Really, the next day because I get a whole other day to recover. Mm-hmm. Which is why Sunday doesn't make my list like like it makes your list. Yeah. So quickly for clarity, a one is a Monday or a one day. A two is a Wednesday. You'd think Tuesday there, but it's not. Got you, good fuckers. <laughs> a three is a Thursday. A four is a Friday, and a five is a Saturday. And that's what we'll be using to review beers that we're going to go pull out of the fridge now, and we'll be back in just a second. Caleb, what are you reviewing on this terribly well thought out rating system I've developed? On this terribly well thought out rating system you have developed. Thank you. Thank you. I, I am uh, rating a Rockbridge Brewing Company's option number two mm-hmm. out of Columbia, Missouri. Uh, it is 9.2% by volume. Yeah, it is. It is a Imperial Milk Stout brewed with coffee beans. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try it on air. We had a rock bridge on the last episode we recorded. We did their blood spree. It was a two for you. You didn't love it. So this is an opportunity for rock bridge to recover. This is a Friday. Yeah. That's a really I'm good I'm looking beer. forward to more, yeah. um, which is kind of odd because it's a milk stout. Like 9.2 by volume for a milk stout right. is intense. It's, like milk stout is not supposed to be high alcohol volume. The fact that they can make it taste this good is pretty remarkable. And I think it might be the coffee. It cuts some of the sting off of it's it. It's interesting. I've had this beer a couple of times now, and every time I'm just reminded of walking into a cigar shop that also smells a little bit of vanilla. And yes. That may sound like a yeah. disgusting explanation, but it is not. I mean, that, It's the front end, like, beginner cigars yeah. that they're like trying to get the the kids that just like, that's right want to try a cigar for that, the first that's a really delicious beer it doesn't have like the spices and like the cloyingness of of some of your right more expensive stuff yeah and had i rated that beer uh, especially given that i don't drink a ton of stouts and the ones that i do drink are kind of like you know god terms for me like milf etc that that's definitely a four like maybe on some days even a five because i'm yeah. surprised at how light and enjoyable it is it's doubtless a friday yeah absolutely right. uh so what are we talking about today well so it's dissecting our fun which as you know is how we start every one of our episodes we talk about some board game related thing either a specific game a mechanic or a concept that we're interested in today we're taking a slightly different twist on all of that um and at this point you've probably heard we hope you've heard at least that there is uh, a game in development uh by way of of these two fine gentlemen sitting on the microphones right now and our latest playtester producer ross yeah and so maddie gibbons has asked i hear there's an epidemic of ducks getting drunk which is the hashtag we are using to talk about our upcoming game hashtag ducks getting drunk but i most definitely haven't heard enough about it details hype playtesting all right first off i i disagree with the term academic those ducks are of legal age Oh, and yeah. they are uh they are they're just having fun with their That's friends. right. They okay. ju- they, they don't have problems. They just want to have a good time. Yeah. That's not a big deal, guys. Yeah. Okay. So uh yeah, look, it's definitely in development. We are I don't know how many play tests in at this point. The game's called Party Foul. Right. Tentatively, yeah. assuming that we don't learn at a later date that legally we can't call it Party Foul. In which case it will be called Party Foul. Right. The card game. Right, exactly. Yeah. There is actually an establishment in Nashville, Tennessee that serves hot chicken in the gulch called Party Foul. So at some point they may not say, Hey, you can use that. So it will be Party Foul the game. That's absolutely mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, Caleb, you want to talk a little bit about the impetus for the game and what the game's about? So uh, the impetus of the game is that we've been wanting to get more – I've been wanting it to get more into the uh, tabletop design space besides RPGs. Right. Uh, I very much like RPGs, but it would be disingenuous to play. say that's the only thing I play because we play a ton of board games around here. Yeah. Uh, even amongst the RPPR crew, but that crew combined with you and Brandy – right. We're we're playing like board games for a days. new game, 
two or three new games a month. Yeah. And we're playing old games all the time. So um, I have ideas about that kind of stuff. I have other, you know, game design ideas I want to try. Right. Uh, but we were thinking about something we could do together. Yep. Uh, into the design space because I don't know really what I'm doing uh in, in in regards to designing a card game. Right. So you you found someone else who also doesn't really know what they're doing. Yeah. And we so thought, we can well, spread we the ignorance around. That's right. To more, it's it's like diluting the ignorance yeah, by way of spreading a more, it out. Yeah, a more dilutable no. spread. And it seems to be working. Yeah. Isn't this uh, the same principle as homeopathic medicine? Yes. For the most part. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right. We are homeopathic doctors then. Yeah. It's kind of uh-huh. the other big announcement in dissecting our fun. I, I, I hope we make homeopathic medicine money. Are yeah. you kidding <laughs> That's me? That's right. Amen. Right. <laughs> we can do the podcast full time. Yeah, then. for sure. Yeah. So the premise of the game, um, players play as, uh, as, as members of Duck University, Duck U. Yeah. Uh, and it is the week of finals. They just need to let out a little stress. And yeah. so they're going to a house party mm-hmm. where they're going to get drunk as duck mm-hmm. and they're going to try to control the house party be the coolest duck if you will the biggest duck on campus yeah by going to v- various rooms in the house and attempting to control various conversations in those rooms yes. popular culture philosophy sports arts etc throughout the game then not only are you trying to play cards which would make you cooler in given conversations you're also trying to play cards which would make other people less cool in given conversations so before we get to the mechanics of this which are going to change obviously because we're in the middle of play testing right um for you where do you think the impetus of this design theme came from? Uh, well, so yeah, that's a that's a weird one. Uh, par- partially, be, I don't know if you guys know this, but we like to drink beer, and mm-hmm. so the idea that we could kind of take Caleb's desire to get into the tabletop play space, we're really into card games and see some upside to those. And the modular board, which is what the game is currently based on, is you build the house anew every game. Mm-hmm. The ability to take all that and then turn it into a drinking game just really sounded fun to me, the, the idea that you're building a party. But then building a party with ducks is something that I exclusively attribute unto you. And I don't know, from your perspective, if it was pun-driven. It was entirely pun-driven. Right, as is the nature of the game. For example, you, I do know my audience. Right. You, you, it's you. Right. And you love a good pun. I do. For example, you don't take actions in the game. You take quactions in the game. Pause for applause. Actually, producer Russ, could you put in like an applause track? <laughs> I could. Okay, got it. Yep. <laughs> Drink. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the the game has really become, at least for us, a vehicle of just making duck puns out of mechanics, actions, cards, etc. Uh, and that's been like maybe for me the most enjoyable enjoyable part of the game. Yeah, I mean, not to turn it into a love fest. I kind of see of it as like a. Um I don't want to call it like a bookend and playing an end, but like a, a, a circular of our friendship because right. it started in terrible college house parties yes that both of us i think while most of them were happening mm-hmm. um were deeply uncomfortable yes like because there's too many people and it's very loud right and it's uncomfortable there's any um, number of people and but it's college and therefore we must you know mm-hmm. it is the water in which we must swim um so but now we're playing board games all the time like right. that that's a party for us yeah. like let's get together on a friday night and just really make it happen board game it up so it's it's really just sort of a a nice little circular uh commentary on our friendship I yeah think. no i absolutely love it also so. terrible puns the, the worst puns yes. and that like i said that for me is kind of the every time i sit down I've got a little notebook going in my head, like, and how can we make a pun of that? Which is all I'm really looking to do in life. That, that's <laughs> Google kind of my, duck puns. Right, yeah. yeah. That's my modus operandi mm-hmm. for the most part. It's like, oh, what's that pun? So anyways, um, kind of give you some details about where this is going or where we hope it's going and what our plans are. Uh, we are kind of on version two of an alpha for the most part. 
Um, we've got a couple other playtest frameworks already built out that we haven't gotten to yet. We playtested for the first time today with producer Ross, in fact. Hello. Who said, and I quote, I've played published games that were less well-developed than this. I will take that to my grave. I, I will say I am alarmed at how well playtesting has gone. Yeah, We still have bottom. a ton to do. Right. There's stuff with the deck we're playing with right now that is completely broken that we need to change. Yeah. But it's not so broken that we need to like redo the deck again. Right. And we're just testing out variants and getting ideas of different rules we can add or subtract. Sure. Um, and uh, I, I don't know how close we are because, I, I, again, there's, there's my ignorance mainly comes on the development side of how you print this stuff, yeah. how you make the box and get it out there. And I'm, we're going to be looking into that when we go to Metatopia later this year. Uh, but uh, as opposed to red markets, I'm alarmed at how well it worked the first time we did it. Sure. Like, to the point where it makes me paranoid. Yeah, I'm sure the level of intricacy is so different there in their systems. Well, I know they are because I've played both. But, but I, too... You know, because you you have this experience having built a system, uh, you know, a pretty in-depth system. And so you kept telling me while we were building the game before we tested the game, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's okay when it doesn't work. It's going to be broken. We'll fix it. And then we played the first time and then just kind of sat there like, uh, yeah, I, I, I do enjoy playing the that game. That worked. Yeah. So what, what now? And so now it's about refining and really making decisions that we just think enhance the game. Yeah. You know, and that's what that's why sitting down with producer Ross today was so nice because he wasn't pointing out things that were broken. He was pointing out things that were like, it would actually probably be more interesting if you did this. Yes. And that that's kind of the, the phase that we're in. The core mechanic seems to work well. So as Caleb pointed out, kind of next big steps for us, we're going to continue to play test a couple of different paradigms we've developed. Um, we've reached out uh, to some people for art. Uh, we're kind of in the we art can't really talk phase. about it right now right. yet, but, uh, but it's I, we're super excited. Super awesome. About potential. Uh, about who we've talked to about doing the art for the um, game. And uh, we're really just trying to hammer out as many play tests as we can before we get a Metatopia deck ready. Right. And then we see if it really works or not. Right. So we, we start testing it on randos. Uh, if things go ideally, yeah. uh, we'll go to Metatopia in November. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what we'd like to do is kickstart the game, fingers crossed, assuming things go well, like spring, spring early spring, summer, summer next year, yeah. 2018. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of like our, our – we're at least using that as the deadlines in our head to make sure that we're moving forward on things. Yes. And if stuff happens, then stuff happens, but that would be our goal. But it will be the official Mix 6 podcast uh, – Card game, right? Because every podcast has those, you know. Um, and uh, we will be mentioning it frequently on here, yeah. In future, not every dissecting or fun, of course. No, uh, we will still be playing but, many other. But games. there's probably a period of time where every episode we are going to shamelessly plug it. Yes, and so no problem. With that. Uh, I will say that right now the basic mechanic is uh, you build a modular board, and that is your house. Uh, sometimes the house makes very little sense, but ducks aren't great at architecture. Right. Um, and uh, you go around, and different rooms have different conversations that score in there. Uh, but they also have conversations that are negative in there. So the people that like to talk about games, for instance, don't really like to talk about sports. Um, whereas the people that like to talk about sports don't really want to hear about Settlers of Catan. Right. So you can go in those rooms and then score points by talking about whatever scores in that room. Mm-hmm. Or you could flip the card and then neg another duck right. by giving them a party foul yep. and talking about something uncool and making them a lame duck. You could be a real basic hen. Yeah, a real basic hen or a duck someone. boy. Uh-huh. Um, and then you can, um, using that sort of take that mechanic, you're trying to get to first to 21. Yep, because so. that's the legal age of drinking, even for ducks. Yes. That is yes. a universal rule. There's no minor 
at this duck party. Absolutely not. not. That's disgusting. Yes. Yeah. We would never do that. So anyways, you asked, um, you know, that's, that's kind of where we are in things reserve all right to change everything. We just said, if something goes wrong, indeed we do. Uh, and we will, we will update you or not update you depending on how badly it goes, uh, about what's going on in the future. Thank you for asking though. We're super excited about this. Um, it's something that we've been spending our non mixed six free time doing a lot of over the last six weeks now. Uh, and we're going to spend even more time doing it over the next couple of weeks so that we've got a good run-up to next major milestones. In our and uh, I will say, at some point, we'll probably have a print-and-play version that needs more playtesting from people yeah. where we are not in the room. Yeah. And uh, that will be going out to backers first Amen. before anybody else. Because so. we're going to need that help. Yeah, we're going to need that help. So. so, anyways, thanks for asking. This has been Dissecting Our Fun. A little bit different this week, but we hope you kind of enjoyed hearing about where we are on this stuff. And also, just some interesting game mechanics that we think could apply to other games. They happen to apply to the game that we're building. On that note, I'm going to grab another beer, and we're on to our second topic. Spencer, what are you drinking? So I am drinking a New Glarus Brewing Company's Spotted Cow, and I've got to give a shout-out here to Dr. Melissa Meyer at UW-Stevens Point, uh, my Wisconsinian friend who would go back to Wisconsin on breaks and bring this beer back because you can only get it in Wisconsin, yeah. and I've never seen I it. I know numerous people in Missouri that will make beer pil- pilgrimages yes. to Wisconsin for that specific brand. Yeah, so uh, it's really hard to find. It is very literally only in Wisconsin, and there's just infinitely too much text on the label. However, this is a delicious ale, uh, and it is – if you wanted to drink the ideal version of whatever a gas station beer is supposed to be, right, your run-of-the-mill domestic, you wanted to find one of those that tasted really good and you actually wanted to drink, weren't forced to drink because of budget or constraint, it would be the New Glarus Brewing Company Spotted Cow. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is – in terms of an average drinker for me, this is a four, a Friday – but I want to add a little asterisk here. I don't want this to screw up any of our you know, spreadsheets. But if you were to ask me in terms of standard ales, it's probably a five. I think it is the, the best of yeah, the— Yeah, it's reduced by relating it to all possible beers. That's right, relating but it to all possible category. beers. Yeah, in its category, it Which is, is arguably what a beer should be shooting right, for. Right, right. So it's a four, to be clear, for the rating system. But it, but if I had to rate it in its category, it is probably the best in its category, and that would be a Saturday. So anyways, while I get to consume this gem of a beer, Caleb, what are we talking about? Well, your number one pick for this week is Living with Humans. And in our sort of advice column for relationships, as we are both undoubtedly experts, um, we I think we should touch on something that is the number one problem I see in living with humans. So uh, what are the most significant differences between what you thought living with another person would be like versus what living with another person is actually like? Yeah, these two things are Because the different. gap between this expectation and reality is where most relationships, whether they be friends, right. roommates, strangers, partners, uh, lovers, right. married, uh, is really the gap between that expectation and reality is where most people <laughs> fall into the pit. Totally agree. Um, so yeah, it seems like we're talking. About so there are two things for me that stand out as I was thinking about this topic. What what are the biggest distinctions between what I thought it would be like and what it's actually been like? Brandy and I have lived together since like two thousand six, two thousand seven. I don't know. That's give or take a year, ten years now. Um, officially two thousand eight, I suppose. Anyways, um, two things that I guess when I was growing up, kind of an idealized version of whatever that relationship would look like under the same roof that seemed to me to stand out the most in terms of differences. The first is we'll split responsibilities evenly. And the other is we'll do everything together. 
And I guess I just kind of like assumed as a younger human that when you lived together, there was kind of like an ideal version of a chore or responsibility list for taking care of things. And then, you know, I would take five and you would take five or whatever the number would be. Uh, that's not really how things work. And it's not to say that one person does more or one less. It's just to say that, like, you know, things ebb and flow. And so of a given week, I might do more or Brandy might do more depending on our schedules. But you're splitting evenly on the aggregate. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe, yeah. I mean, I think the important thing here is to create contextual balance, not objective balance. And so what needs to get done of a given week gets done. It just really depends on who is available to do that thing or who's in the right mood to do that thing. And so if, for example, I'm uber busy, with work and recording and board game stuff, right? Party foul stuff, which has happened more lately yeah. uh, because we're doing more stuff. Brandy has been like, you know, super awesome about making sure that the dishes are taken care of mm-hmm. or that, you know, laundry's put away, et cetera. But on weeks where she's more busy, yeah. right? Then, then I kind of fill that gap. And so the idea there that there was some objective scale that held true in all instances, that responsibility thing is so much more fluid than I ever thought it would be. It's more about functionality than it is about formality. Yeah, I do think it's important to split tasks evenly, but task as the whole as to what you need to be done, right. I don't think specific tasks. So like when I first imagined right. it, it would be like, I will do this half the time and you will do this half the time, yeah. which is not going to happen. It doesn't happen on our actual schedules. Right. Um, so what ends up happening is like Sarah is utterly disgusted by bathrooms, so yeah. I clean the bathroom mm-hmm. every time, mm-hmm. and that's just my chore. Right. But she does other chores. For instance, I cannot physically vacuum because I am allergic to our cat, mm-hmm. and vacuuming will like put me in a fetal position as my body shuts down right. and I die on the floor. Yeah. Hell for me is vacuuming. It's just me and a bunch of dogs also down just there with vacuums going off. I want to take a hot second that you're wildly allergic to cats. And you own a cat. Well, I mean, well, it, put that in a different, not great different planet. living with humans. Yeah, different yeah. living with humans. Yeah. Uh, terrible mistakes that Caleb has made. Right. Um, so, uh, but yeah, we we don't do those tasks evenly. We do them entirely one hundred percent. Right. But in the aggregate. We are completing what needs to be done at right. roughly an equivalent stage. Well, and I think the other important thing you've pointed out there— And if you're not, you need your spouse to be able to tell you that, and you need to right. do that, right? Because right. it sometimes will happen. And one of the things you've pointed out there is that we typically, I think, or at least I used to, and this is maybe part of the violation of expectation, think that these things had a one-to-one relationship, so this chore equaled this chore mm-hmm. in balancing the scales of responsibility. That's yeah. just not how things work. You know, based on time and energy and resources, some— some issues kind of have outsized influence, and that's okay. You know, sometimes it seems to me that you just take on more for the purposes of, like, balancing the scale and making the other person's life easier, and it's not, you know, this kind of, like, tit-for-tat, um, I'll do this if you do this. At least that, that hasn't worked in our in our perspective. Yeah. The, the other thing for me that stands out the most um, is this notion that because we're living together, because we're, you know, married and partners and all that stuff, we would do everything together. And that's not the case um, because we've done a bunch of these and Brandy's never been on one. You know, despite the fact that we have we have at every turn tried to con and bribe them, both Sarah and Brandy, yes. into coming on. I tried to get her. She was in the room last time we recorded an episode and right. refused to get on the right. She just looked at us, yeah. right? Like, you know, not even she that She flipped me off a couple times. Yeah. So, um, and for me... At the beginning of our relationship, and certainly at the beginning of living together, that was not the case. I think there was some attempt to do everything together all the time because you're together now you do this stuff. Over time, at least for us, it has been much more satisfying if we do a lot together. Yeah, it's sort of a geek social fallacy. That's right. Yeah, because yeah. you love each other does not mean you have to be together at all times. Right. And then we've also found things that neither that, that I'm not into, but she's really into and vice versa. And it's been like super healthy. It's also been a super mature thing, I think, to like yeah. come to a point where... Going to the poker night with the guys is not the equivalent of walking out on your 
your marriage. That's right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but there was like some th- th- there was like definitely a growing up bit that had to happen yeah, in there yeah. on both parts, right? To recognize that like it's okay for other people to go mm-hmm. off and do other things. And I think that in ideal version of whatever I thought this was 15, 20 years ago, that didn't exist. Yeah. You know, it was always like odd to me that people wouldn't do those things. So I suppose two greatest differences uh, the, the, the idea of balance, balancing responsibilities and doing everything together. Uh, I'd like to expand on this a little bit. Yeah. Uh, beyond just with spouses yeah. or, or lovers or whatever other people say. Um, and that you're probably living with roommates or friends and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, because, you know, gig economy. Uh, uh, we're all poor. Um, and we appreciate your Patreon <laughs> for business for that reason. Right. Uh, so what I find really odd is because I used to work in residence life. Um, and I think where a lot of stuff spouses come from. What I found that in the aggregate, like in the whole, you are way better off living with someone you've never oh met God. before. So true. Just a complete effing stranger than you are living with someone that you had a in-depth relationship for beforehand. And I find that the, the deeper the relationship as friends or acquaintances, the worse the living situation goes. Correct. Now, there are like... Uh, outliers. You move in a, with a rando in college, and they end up like shaving their toenail clippings in jars, right. and, like preserving their pee sure. by stopping up the bathtub. Right, um, like, which is super regular. By yeah, the way. you can live with totally crazy people. Yeah, but on the whole, I see people that live with complete strangers assigned by a computer or with a Craigslist ad or something. Yeah. live in far more harmony together and actually make friends far more often than I see people like who lived together in high school and moved to college or uh, who knew each other in college and queued together for right. rent right. Um, be happy because that's where the resentment lies. Yeah, it's fascinating that... And it's because there's a bigger gap there. That's right. You've spent more time imagining what that person's like to live with. Yep. And that gap of expectation is different. Whereas if you're coming at it cold... Right. You appreciate it and you're less passive aggressive about everything. Right. You don't have expectations that you expect someone to follow and then get angry and resentful that they don't. And there's less risk. I think this is the other because you're totally right. There's less risk in telling them how you feel about something or having Far frank less. conversations yes. in what's working and not working in, in the new relationship, whatever that relationship looks like, right? Um, because, you know, there, there's a big difference in telling your best friend of a bunch of years who you're now living with that you don't like something they're doing yeah, and telling a stranger who you met, you know, six weeks ago when you moved into a, a dormitory together. Hey, I don't really like this thing. Worst case scenario, you guys live together for a few more months and then bingo, bango, it's over. Yeah, And so I think the risk associated with being really honest with a friend or a partner or a loved one, whatever it is, it it's just harder sometimes. And I don't know that it should be. In fact, I think it probably shouldn't be. I think that's the nature of like close relationships. Yeah. But it is because you don't want to lose yeah. whatever you've already developed there. Which is which is the thing I want to mention because like we're talking about it as guys who are in our in our limited space have it okay we're we're handling it great and and doing fine and yeah. I I really like how I live and who I live with but um, the problem with it is is that um, when you transition to living with like a partner you've got the worst situation. So I'd see this literally hundreds of times per semester every time I work in resident life. Oh, we were best friends in high school. It made sense to move from college. Never spoke to each other again. Right. Death feud, blood yeah. feud, hate each other forever, inside yeah. weeks. I'm, I'm stopping them from throwing alarm clocks at each other. I'm, they're all cussing each other out right. behind each other's back. It's just a nightmare. Whereas completely random strangers like, oh, it's the conservative rodeo cowboy with the drag queen. And right. they, they're best friends forever. And they do intramural f- football. Ball, mm-hmm. and like he he washes his panties if like he's got a show coming up and they just they're buddies for life this because is an elaborate story you've told it's Kevin an actual States. example that might um, be why. Yeah. so uh 
because they didn't know each other, they met each other on terms. They had the terms of living established before they had the terms of friendship established. Right. And it was clear. It wasn't passive aggressive. It was fine. The irony is that when you move with a spouse, you've known that person. Right. For in the most intimate relationship. Yeah. For the longest period of time, probably. And so your expectations for how they live and how you live together couldn't be higher. Right. Or more unrealistic. Right. And then you move again together, right. and Good it's point. literally like, it's literally the worst case scenario. It's a GP, Caleb. You can pull it off, mm-hmm. but like, you're pulling it off on the hardest difficulty yeah, level. Yeah, you really are. Because like, if you're just like people who live in this apartment complex mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. you make rules about like who cleans the kitchen stuff and when you take out trash, and it's fine, it's above board, you write a little chore list, and people don't get pissed off and angry about everything. Right. Uh, you're literally walking into the worst situation by aggregate to do that. Right. Not that it ends up being a bad situation. It's just, it's the most risky and most difficult. And most difficult from the get go. Yeah, Yeah. totally agree. So, you know, to the core of the question, then what's the problem with those expectations and their violation? The problem is based on, based on what the expectations are, you're either walking in at a significant disadvantage or you're walking in with no expectation. And sometimes there's more value in having no expectation than there is than having high expectations. Um, things are going to be different, which is totally fine. The question is how you respond to that difference. Uh, and sometimes shit just goes wrong and it's probably best to get out of that. Yeah. And just make, and just make it clear if you're moving with someone that you've been dating for a long time, uh, that when you say, how are we going to do this? Let's make up a plan. It's not because you don't trust them. Right. And it's not because like you're anal retentive. Right. It's because like. I know people get pissed off about this stuff. Right. I love you deeply. Yeah. I never want you to be angry at me. Right. And so I would feel better if we just came up with a schedule for the dishes. Exactly. Like, yeah. just be honest. Like, this is about us. Like, the reason we're having trash days outlined on a little list. Right. Is not because, like, I don't trust you and think you can't do things. Right. It's, it's for my well-being These to know that to our done. relationship will stay strong Absolutely. and doesn't interfere. Yeah, I think that's totally true. Joel Hawkins said something really prescient to me some time ago. Uh, sometimes people forget that they have to work on relationships uh, yeah. because there's an expectation or an assumption about their endurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what you've identified is totally true. And living with a person does not avoid that issue. Any of that. I, th- I think actually it probably it heightens mm-hmm. the need for some of those like tough conversations and expectations to be outlined. Yeah. Totally right. So anyways, um, since we have probably just solved whatever conflicts you may be having with a roommate of any variety or potential roommates you may have, you are welcome. And on that note, we're going to celebrate by getting more beer and we'll be right back. And what beer is next for you, good sir? Uh, uh, we're going to add to the pronunciation, supercut. Yep. Um, it's a long cut now. Harvestone? Harvestone? Yeah, I, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to pronounce it. Harvestone, old engine oil, black ale. Uh, it's out of Scotland. Uh, it's just got some adjectives on the label. Viscous, chocolatey, and roasty. I didn't realize it was out of Scotland. Yeah, it, it says right Harvestone. Harvestone. Now I just sound like yeah, a, oh, like yeah. a Pixar, wow. a Pixar Who's movie. on the cut now? Yeah. 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 All right. Well, moving <laughs> on from that. I'm just taking a sip. You know what, Producer Ross? I just want you to just erase that. Mm, uh, that face is no. quizzical. He's thinking. I think you oversold it. I oversold no, it? No, I think Harvestown oversold oh, it. Oh, with the viscous, the chocolatey, or the roasty? It's like a Wednesday. It tastes like Whoa. a Wednesday. Whoa. It's just like there. I got to get through it. 
Oh, I'm going to try this bitch. But, like, I'm not... I mean, the name is not exactly like, mm, engine oil, I want that. Old engine oil, nonetheless. Oh, that's uh, not very good. Yeah, no, it, if I was drinking old engine oil, like, I would expect to have some sort of impact. I saw the guy do it in Over the Top. Right. It seemed to have a flavor, if not a good one. Right. Uh, it, it's just sort of not there. No. It's It's like... Roasty. It is roasty on the it, back it's end. It's roasty on the back end, but like that's about it. It's not very viscous to me. No. What it is is it's too it's too light on the front end, and then it hits you with roasty on the back if end. If you called option number two old engine oil, right. that'd be great. It'd still be a hard I would four, drink, I would and it'd be like, oh, that's, a, that's better than option two. Yep. Uh, and yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a Wednesday. I, Sorry. Yeah, not crazy about that. Uh, so what are we going to talk about? So CJ has asked in Ask Mixed 6, when I tell people I'm a gamer... Both video and tabletop games, and plug, he says, can't wait for my hardcover of Red Markets. He or she, I should say. CJ could be either a woman or a man. I'm often met with a look that says, you're 30, and that's kid stuff. What do you do to combat that stigma without using the, well, you just don't get it argument? And, yeah, I'm very fascinated by this question because I get this a lot, as I imagine all of us get this a lot. And so, Caleb, I'm going to let you jump in. What, what's, your, what's your shield defense here? So I, I, have, a, I have a plethora. It's more of a phalanx. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have, uh, I, I get this all the time uh, in every job I've ever had. Um, and I've never ceased to best it uh, in a way beyond this, like, oh, you don't get it, man. Um, so first off, especially if they're talking about video games, like... My first response is like, where do you live, bro? Right. Video games gross more than movies and television combine now. It's the number one entertainment industry on the planet. The average gamer is forty years old. Yeah. Like, and a woman. Like, I mean, if you include mobile gamers and Yeah, and right. and or, or women. Like yeah. it, like everyone on earth plays video games. Like I play different video games than you, but like really it's I mean, they might as well, like, push you and say, you read, nerd? Like, mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. Like, how dare you use written word? Right. Like, it's a medium now at right. which there's endless genres and endless choices. Yeah, such an outdated stereotype to, yeah. to even begin the question. Yeah, to to be the person that says, like, oh, you're doing that, oh, you're doing, like, that kid stuff. It's right. like, they're being the person who's like, I don't even own a TV. Right. And you should roll your eyes and treat them with appropriate levels of score. Yeah, it's like, look, I'm glad you read the newspaper. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, so do I. On my phone, yeah, is how like, I feel about yes. that. Yeah. So at, at this point, like, it, it's such an antiquated, like, the impetus of it is so antiquated that if it's any way hostile, I just point out the fact that like you are the minority, and normally that's enough for a person that would have the impetus to say that like antiquated leather jacket wearing stereotype in the first place, right? Uh, to be like, oh shit, because they don't care about the fact that you game, right? They care about being. Uh, in the majority of the population. Right, they want to invoke that stereotype in a really like pejorative way. And pointing out that it's categorically not true, yeah. if for me, is often enough. Yeah, totally agree. Producer Ross, you probably get this a lot, too. Actually, I don't as much. You know, uh, the joys of being self-employed. Oh, yeah, okay, that's totally <laughs> fair. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, It has come up, uh, not necessarily a negative way, but in... Especially when at family gatherings, and like, what the hell do you do? Right, <laughs> yeah, just like... Kind of uh-huh. way. Um, so, I mean, you can talk about how games are interactive art forms and how, uh, they're beginning to have complexity. Uh, you know, if you look at the, if you compare it to film industry, we're still basically in the silent film era. We're still figuring out the conventions of the medium itself. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. You can make a living doing it. 
Um, I mean, the, the the hardest approach for me to justify saying I'm a gamer is actually not from those kind of people, but from those, oh, you're a gamer and someone who understands gaming culture and just assumes that the people who are gamers are like the bro, you know, like game, uh, uh, game gators uh, or, you know, basically mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the people who are like, oh, you're a Call of Duty uh, guy who hates women in video games and blah 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. And I, there I, is the. I mean, and that and that's harder to defend against because, like, I right. would say the one thing that CJ should do is they should identify what they like. And I'm using the the plural because I don't know if CJ's a man or a woman right. at this point. Yeah. Uh, they should identify what they like, and they should not call themselves a gamer because gamers have ruined that term. Mm. Like, we just mm. need to give it up. Mm-hmm. Like, we just need we just need to no. give it up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's kind of game gate. Like, don't right. like don't do it. Like, yeah. you are a person what plays games on yeah. occasion. Right. And I will do that. If you want to call me a gamer as a result of that, that's also fine. But yeah. like when you say I am a gamer and use the term gamer, yeah. it is politically poisoned and it is poisoned that people in the game industry have worked. Maybe not you, right. but it's happened. Like sure. maybe I'm wearing a white sheet and burning a cross because I hate plus signs and I'm a big Casper the Ghost cosplayer. Right. But if someone misunderstood me doing that for something awful, that's still on me. <laughs> like, I still should have realized, like, oh, wait, those other guys don't like Casper the Ghost at all. Right. Like, I, I should realize that, like, that's what happened. So, like, don't use the term. It's been poisoned. It doesn't change anything about your identity. Don't stop playing games. Don't stop telling people you play games. Right. But it's not a political block. It's something that you consume in terms of media. And talking about, like, our are cultural Marxists, like, are you uncomfortable identifying the nerd space and how married it is to consumption? Right. Like, using the term gamer, like, it doesn't get more than that. Right. Saying, you're a person what finds the art of game interesting. Sure. Like, and you can talk about that with people because, you know, you're in the majority of the population that plays games. And yeah. you play games on your phone, even if you don't have a console or a PC. Yeah. I think that might be a bit of a tough sell for what I'm assuming CJ's talking about, which is the instance in which someone who has lobbed the stereotype negatively at someone is also wanting to like get a you know fairly thorough explanation of why I wouldn't use the term well, in the I first have, place. I have other things against the person lobbing the expectation. Right. But one thing CJ can do if it's not worth dealing with. Right. Because it's often not worth dealing it's with. It's often is not. don't use the loaded term. Right. Because I, I, I'm going to argue that it's not your ethnicity, it's not your nationality. You're okay giving it. Sure. Up. Like you don't you don't gain anything by by using it, and you're not losing anything by using a different term, right. or just refusing to pigeonhole yourself. Because, like, uh, I, I watch movies, but I'm not a movier. Right. Like, that's a, it's it's so ubiquitous, it'd be ridiculous to say that. Like, yeah. I listen to music, but I'm not a, a musicer. Like, that's abs- hashtag musicer. Yeah, yeah that's absurd. That. Like, right. just just acknowledge that you are in the single most popular entertainment industry to ever have existed monetarily, and the single most popular entertainment industry now, according by value, and just be like a person that likes this type of game and that type of game. So some years ago, I was flying back from a conference and Zach Wagner and I are sitting at an airport in Utah uh, playing Magic the Gathering at a table while yeah. we're waiting for our you know flight to take off. Mm-hmm. And some, some gentleman, unsolicited, who I do not know and did not know at the time, walks over and asked our, if we were playing Pokemon, to which I responded, no, we're playing Magic the Gathering. And I didn't know if that would be by orders of magnitude worse or better to him. To what he responds, my daughter plays that. 
Okay. Um, and it was like the first time, because by and large, my response to CJ's question is, I just generally surround myself with other people who like that thing, so I don't feel all that ostracized, because I'm just participating in what it is we're all participating in. Mm-hmm. And if people don't understand that or aren't into that, then they're outside of the norm for me, which is kind of an extension Your of Your daughter argument. sounds cooler than you. Right. So so that was the first... <laughs> well, I mean, was it condescending, or was he genuinely like, oh, that's a thing I've, I've heard about, but I'm mm, not... I, I think it was a little condescending. Uh, I don't know. I'm also like... I was probably yeah, it also like, depends on how you read it. Right. You know, it like, it could have just been... The, Maybe the he moment. wanted to know more about it, so he could bond with his daughter. Which, which is a, which away. is another part of I would argue uh, why you get rid of the gamer designation because sure. like it sort of this, psychologically primes right. you to accept it as like I am this underclass that is being picked Un- on by undifferentiated the undifferentiated category. And like, don't do that. You're an adult. Don't do that. You're in your 30s. Like, right. you don't. Maybe they're just genuinely curious. Maybe he wants to play Pokemon. Maybe he needs to know how magic's right. Right. You you can read a tone. So if he's being a dickwad, yeah. treat him like a dickwad. But and, maybe they just genuinely don't know. And, and like, I think he was being a dickwad but but so set and I, zach and i sat there and talked about that for a little bit while we continue to play magic the gathering in a very public place mm-hmm. um and it strikes me that like later in life um i did i don't know that i responded appropriately in that moment i just didn't respond kind of like okay um and then you know continued to put down my forest to cast what i'm sure was a one drop elf because i was playing an elf deck no big deal love elves and soldiers um OP, please nerf. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I later in life, my response to that has generally been, unless I think th- that person is being a dick, at which point I don't want to engage, right? Because you've already made up your mind about this undifferentiated category of gamer, and you think it's for little kids, and here I am. But, but I think in in my later years at thirty one. My strategy has been to assume there's some like benevolent search for tell me more about that and to invite people into, yeah, I play these games. Would you like to play one? Would you like to learn about that? Can I talk to you more about some of these games? And I, I guess that's like my attempt at calling the bluff a little bit. You know, either you're not interested in it and you're trying to invoke a negative stereo what you think is a negative stereotype, and I want to talk about that, or maybe you are genuinely interested and so let me see if I can't help you pique some of your interest. Yeah, because yeah. if one of the reasons I'm into games so much is because I've met people who are super into games and we're willing to overshare about some stuff. So, you know, maybe maybe I can gain a convert there. I don't know. I generally assume positivity. Right. Until proven otherwise. Yeah, so I can... And, and then I bring out big guns because right. I'm not a conflict-averse person. And I kind of feel but, like invite them into the fold and see if they actually want to have a meaningful conversation about it. Or if they don't, that's okay. You weren't going to win that in the first place. I mean, there, there was no winning there. I yeah. did once get a shit for playing a card game in a bar and a guy was clearly doing it for shit. And I'm like, all right, we'll go back to your Kino movie. Right. You're, yeah. you're right, watching exactly. a Kino film, Yeah, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Like, is that, who's that by? Yeah. Is that Spielberg doing Kino? Like, uh, yeah, like, you can be a dick about it if they are being a dick about it, but don't assume everyone is being a dick about it when right. you ask a question. Yeah. Um, the, totally other, the other thing I will say, and this is not available to everybody, but it can be, um, the thing I had about joining RPPR is I did get some shit about it eventually one point until I launched the first Kickstarter, and now after Red Markets is done, I don't mention that like we've made almost $100,000 and I've spent all of it right in shipping and making the book and art, and, and I, I don't meant that I've spent all of it. I just say the number, yeah, we're getting close to 100000 Right. And in a capitalist society, the motherfucker that wants to bring that shit up in a negative pot light, yeah. when you drop a number on them like 100000 they instantly shut up and they instantly start asking you how they can get into games right and then the power dynamic has completely shifted now i know not everyone can do that but like i want to get into games i want to make a game i follow people who do games like they're pulling all if you mention a money number 
it magically turns right. the biggest douchebag you ever met in high school that never grew out of it into someone who just instantly wants to know more or is instantly impressed and instantly walks away. Yeah. I find it baffling. And for years, I wouldn't do it because I'm just like, what is this crazy life hack I've discovered? Like, I talk about making $6,000 for the original No Security Kickstarter, and people would just be in awe. Right. And people that mocked me and said horrible crap before would just disappear. And I was just baffled as right. to why that happened. And now I don't question it anymore. If right. they're dumb enough to be swayed by the amount of money an art produces without ever considering for a moment how much you're paying to produce that right. book yeah. or paying to distribute it or paying for shipping and what your actual profit is. If they're dumb enough to just be swayed by a number, and I'm very grateful for that number personally, but when I use it against them, if they're dumb enough just to like not examine that and instantly give it value because yeah. the market gives value, screw them. I don't want to talk to that person anyway. Right. We weren't and anywhere. by using that number, they've gone. They're, they're away. Yep. They're, so I want like, oh, my friend does this podcast or my friend does this game or like there's people I know in a game that I'm looking to get into it. So I'm doing research. They made so and so much money last year. I, I've never met a person who comes back with that. Right. Like no, I totally the agree. second and, and it's dumb. Yep. Like everyone should come back at that. Yes. If someone uses like, why do you murder puppies every year? It's like, well, I get $5,000 a week for murdering puppies. Right. You shouldn't be like, how do I murder? All right. Puppies? How do I murder puppies? How right. do you get into that? Do you uh-huh. need a degree? Like you should be like, I don't care how much money you make. You're murdering puppies. If right. you're genuinely against something, you should be genuinely against it regardless of how right. much money it makes. But if they're that dumb to be swayed by it, it's not on you or, not to use that. Or that genuinely against playing games. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Producer Ross, you were going to jump in? Um, yeah. I think the the one other thing uh, about the gamer label or tag or whatever right. is uh, there's a lot of self-described gamers uh, because they are really deep into gaming culture uh, in that, you know, you see these like inspirational posters like, oh, I learned everything I need about morals and ethics from playing video games right. and that kind of thing. Right. Uh, I, I don't have a life. I have many lives. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think, you know... Uh, and I, I have nothing wrong because, again, I think a lot of games can teach – like, they, they can be art. And they there are uh, video games and role-playing games that can have dramatic moments and, like, oh, you know, the same kind of uh, aha moment that you have at the end of a great novel or sure. something like that. But I think you need some variety in your cultural life. And if you're delving too deep into any one culture – at the exclusion of other cultures, if yeah. you're not if you're not watching or reading good movies, as some they, people have, yeah, and, and, yeah, yeah, and that's the problem. They think that the gaming that games are enough in of themselves, and yeah. they're not. Right, you need variety. You need to read, and you need to and, uh, experience yet more. If that's your thing. tribe, that's your tribe. Right, but don't mistake your tribe as like an underdog or outnumbered. Right, or a oh pluck, yeah, that's no longer true. Or yeah. a plucky rebel. Yeah. Your tribe is like the single most ubiquitous form of entertainment on the planet yeah right the persecution now. complex yes, yeah absolutely. lose that as hard right. and as fast as you can right and like i i do think you can help yourself have an easier time with people that are not of that tribe right think, if you don't use the gamer term because i think that is on you to recognize that sure. like yeah they have read the news in the past five years yeah why wouldn't they think well, that about us and what and how didn't we create that ourselves mm-hmm. so um I don't describe myself as a gamer, even though, like, if I can't be described as a gamer, what can? Right. Uh, but at the same time, like, 
maybe it's just genuine good intentions. Maybe that's something to leave off. Like, like make sure they're just not just curious and yeah. like trying well, to sidle sidle up, sidle up to the issue. Right, right. Well, there is this dichotomy between like I'll just the major thing is obviously sports and games. That's what you guys have in party file. Hey, um, it's and a false the, dichotomy. Well, no, well, no, it, it is a real. Ducks dichotomy. also don't drink. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the sports games thing is real because in there are, there's regional and <laughs> variations. Like there are certain towns in America where sports, so like football, dominate life to a cult like extent. Sure. And um, and then there are cities and towns where games uh, dominate. You know, and there's yeah, certain sure. like social circles where like if you said you were a sports fan, people would deride you. As much as uh, being right. yeah, a, the, the, the sports ball meme amongst yeah. you know like so, the nerd community, you know, but you can't. But in I think there are some sports fans who do have a persecution complex, and they they have just as much of a case sure. as game uh, fans. Totally have. agree. Yeah, and so yeah, that's what I think. There are places where you will be derided for playing games, but there's there it's not universal. There's, right. there's a lot of variation, and I think the other thing is to be maybe to end this. Is um don't be this guy about other people's subcultures. Right. Yeah. Be be someone don't be about, like you're watching the sports ball. Right. Like, don't be that right. don't be that person. Just like do your subculture. You know, yeah. you know the meme. I mean rightly it, the out. meme. Yeah. You know, shh. Yeah. Let people like things. Right. Like, yeah, yeah let them like the things that they like. <laughs> I mean um, be sure to be always be open to call out bullshit, you know, like right. traumatic brain injuries in, you know, certain sports or sure. Harassment in gaming or whatever it is. Yeah, there, there's ethical concerns beyond the yeah. enjoying the medium. Yeah, totally. And, agree. But they're not synonymous with the. There's medium no ethical every time. consumption in capitalism. Right. right. Yeah. So be benevolent. Assume some curiosity and try to satisfy that curiosity. Uh, definitely don't assume that you're being persecuted or that you are rightly being persecuted. Uh, kind of get out of that mindset. And, and if you have a bad actor, mention the fact. That society is the way it is. That's right. Art, say any dollar amount to them and they will shut up. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, so there is probably way too many uh, uh, defense mechanisms mm-hmm. or responses to that question. But when you ask a bunch of people who play a bunch of games that kind of question, you're going to get too many responses. Yeah. So, okay, with that note, grab more beer. Moving on. See you in just a minute. What are you drinking? So this is from, and I've heard this brewery's name pronounced at least two ways. It's either McKellar or Mickeller. I've heard both. Two K's, two L's. That's right. So McKellar or Mickeller Brewings, Beer Geek Breakfast Stout. It's 7.5%. It is in a beautiful can. Uh, and as, as is true of our Stillwater rule, I'm going to go ahead and give it a shot right now. He's taking a sip in the can, looking around, and there's nope. the reaction. Um, that's a... That's a th- uh, that's a three. That's a Thursday, and if the back if the back end goes on any longer, it might be more like a Wednesday, which would be a two. I've noticed, Spencer, that you tend to have your your ratings change. They over develop time. over time. Yeah, um, because I kind of feel like the first time I get a drink of a beer, it's not an accurate representation of what the beer might taste like. It's my first response to it, so I like to process a little bit what I liked, what I didn't like about it, uh, and so and also. Beers change as they sit in your mouth a little bit. And so right now, this feels like a three. It is a pretty run-of-the-mill stout brewed with coffee. I taste the coffee. Uh, It's got kind of the viscosity of a stout that I would come to expect. It's not changing my life for the better or the worse, making it a number three, which is a Thursday. And while I drink this, Caleb, what are we talking about? Well, Armchair Director this week was the second pick of our backers, Mm -hmm. uh, second most popular. 
And Adam Thornsberg asked us a question, and I figured we should finagle it into this segment because it seems to fit here. Yeah. Hypothetically speaking, what film or films from your childhood would you show your children and why? And the why is the important bit there. Mm-hmm. That was the, the bit that kind of stuck me up because at first I was like, well, I have a bunch of films from my childhood I love. I'll just show them all. But then some are like, well, yeah, but I can't come up with a good reason for showing that movie other than I loved it as a child. So it forced me to land on some things that I thought there are reasons why I would want a child of mine to see this movie. Yeah. So, all right, you want to kick us off? Uh, I guess. I have a lot of caveats that I'm ignoring on this. Uh, So uh, I recognize the disappointment inevitable planning for this scenario because your children will grow up to be people. And those people will not be copies of you necessarily. Mm -hmm. uh, And they will have their own personalities. So like sort of having a kid and expecting to show them this thing and have them have the same reaction to what you did is just sort of like a recipe for sadness. We can give it a shot. Uh, So I'm just going to ignore that. Uh, I'm also going to ignore the very, very questionable ethics of doing anything artistically that would raise another me. Mm, like, yeah, yep. also very questionable. Like, yes, we could. Amen. We could, mm-hmm. but should we? Right. Yep. Yeah. Like, I think that's uh, really, very questionable. That's so the I'm, more important question. I want to be clear. I'm, I'm ignoring those two things to go on. Right. Um, we're, so, we're embracing the question here. So my third one is my hottest take. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be a hard sell. It's a super hot take. Something like Circus of the Stars. Man. Like, what happened? <laughs> you, you, have, you have, and I, I use this benevolently and kindly... This, like, fairly refined cultural palette when it comes to all things television, film, etc. And then I saw this list. Because of Circus of the Stars. And then I saw this list as I was prepping, and I thought, what? okay, what happened? Is Caleb stroking out while he writes this? Like, what the <laughs> fuck happened today? So go on. Why, why this? So Circus of the Stars, if you're not aware, was on CBS. It was a circus show. Yes, you're probably not aware. Where they so, did yeah. uh, circus acts, like trapeze and lion taming and shooting people out of cannons and whatnot. Um, but they let me, included... Let me guess, they used stars. They used stars well. from television and movies uh, in in the circus. So my parents would record this and just plop me in front of a TV with a VHS of Circus of the Stars, and I would watch it. Now, I was a dumb child watching circus things, so like, elephants! Ah! <laughs> like, I was thrilled and enjoyed it. And the stars' participation in the circus acts was ancillary at best. Sure. But here's the thing. None of the stars, because I don't imagine you get on Circus of the Stars because your career is going super great. Maybe. Were necessarily A-list, but they were from another time. Right. So, like, the stars were, like, Dick Clark and, uh, you know, uh, I would like to Ed, Asner Ed Asner and, and a Carol Channing right. and, like, all these people that my parents grew up with. And so, like... I was a kid raised in the 80s and early 90s, but I know who these people are. Sure. Like I've said I've seen Deborah Winger on a trapeze before. Mm-hmm. Like and even though I have no right to know that ours, I do understand sort of the zeitgeist that created my parents. Yeah. So while I don't think your kid or my kid needs to see like actual circus of the stars. Mm-hmm. I think seeing some sort of show that could both entertain a child but also provide hints as to the culture in which raised the child's parents. Sure. Um, is useful because I know a lot about you know Nick at Night 
level TV stuff from this dumb show that kept my attention. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that's important to know about how, like, culture raises people. And, like, I know that my parents are a product of their culture. I know I'm a product of mine. And sure. So, like, I don't know, maybe put PewDiePie in a cannon and launch him against a wall. Mm-hmm. And then, like, my child can say, who's that? I'm like, it's a Nazi. That's why they <laughs> launched him against a wall. Uh, but he was really popular on YouTube for a while. And people some liked kids him. liked him. Right. Uh, and he'd be like, well, that's stupid. I'm like, yes, my childhood was stupid. Mm-hmm. As yours shall be, too, Welcome. Son to it uh so I, I feel like something like circus of the stars has some sort of educational value so i reached out as i was making my list i reached out to my mom on this one which is if you've listened to any of our a podcasts, questionable choice at best right like reaching out to my mom about what what children should be shown at a young age but i wanted to know if i wasn't i still think you're part of some sort of longitudinal psychological study yeah there's a paper about you're... me somewhere <laughs> right but, like, I wanted to make sure there wasn't something I wasn't missing, that I was forgetting, about things that I watched kind of religiously growing up and that I would hypothetically show to a child of mine in the future. And for what it's worth, my mom's first response when I asked her was, not it. So something has changed in the last 28 years between when she thought it would be a good idea to show me that and film. And it has changed too late. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you what changed. Then I couldn't be in a dark room for, like, you know, the precipitating 27 years because of having watched it. I'm terrified of you having a grandchild for her because right. the remakes come out. And oh, you I know. know what she's going to do the first oh, time she babysits. So, anyway. She's going to penalize that poor kid. She did give me, like, a pretty good suggestion, though, one that I originally didn't come up with and something that I watched religiously as a child and would absolutely show my child The Sandlot. Yeah. Um, that movie is just good old fashioned kids having kids and worrying about kids stuff like yeah. getting into hijinks and running away from dogs and making up tall tales about neighbors and playing baseball. And some of the other things on my list uh, have kind of more abstract reasoning. This one, though, is about the fun of being an eight, nine, ten year old kid and thinking you're the fastest kid on the baseball field or that if you wear Chuck Taylor's. Um, or PF Flyers, you will be faster than your friends. And I, I, I just think that there's something it's really from healthy. from bygone history when we could go outside. Honey. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, you know, and this kind of like um, fairy tale-esque approach to Wendy Peffercorn uh, and to Benny the Jet Rodriguez. Uh, I, I just think all of these things are super fun, and that's part of what being a child is. And that movie may be better than most captured whatever that feeling of like awe it is to be a kid in the summer having fun. Mm-hmm. So that's number three on my list. What's number two on your list? Uh, Monty Python. Yeah. Or rather something like Monty Python. Right. Uh, I don't know if Holy Grail is going to hold up, but it certainly does for me. But um, I distinctly remember watching that for the first time with my dad my mother being furious i don't remember what age but she was not happy we were watching it and like that being the moment i hit adolescence sure felt like because like oh adults can be crude too right um also adults have the same sense of humor as kids do right like the exact same sense of humor it's just different subject matter that's right it's complete and total like nonsense absurdity right that is utterly hilarious. And it's said it in a British accent, which makes it more yeah, reasonable. Yeah, but there's, like, blowjob jokes and fart jokes and right. stuff. Like, yeah, it's just different. It's just a little bit more... Cr- and so, I, I don't know what, like, the equivalent would be, like, to gap my generation to the... Like, maybe Chappelle show or something. Um, That's like, a good question. Yeah, like, I don't know what the equivalent would be. Key and Peele? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know what it would be more socially conscious or something like that, but uh, I, I don't know. Monty Python, yeah. the, the ability to know that you're... Your parents find dick jokes funny too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think is an important. You know, I almost think like Tracy Tracy Jordan on Thirty Rock, like that character, like something which is taking a dumb thing and elevating it for the purposes of showing how dumb it is in a really nice way. 
I think that we have seen, I think Chappelle shows a good suggestion. 30 Rock is, to me, something that comes to mind as taking, like, ridiculous everyday stuff and kind of showing how ridiculous everyday it is while making a joke about how ridiculous everyday it is. Yeah. Um, number two on my list is Superman. To be clear, it's the Christopher Reeve Superman. Uh, maybe even Superman 2. And frankly, we talked about this on a recent episode. I would also watch 3 and 4, despite the fact that I understand that they're bad. I don't want to hear about that right now. I mm-hmm. get it. Um, but, you know, I will say this, and I might be in the minority here. I really do believe in the moralizing nature of stories. And I can't think of a film which gave me something like a really... Um, it was a moralizing text for me. Entertainment is propaganda. Yeah, yeah but not in a bad way. Like, because I want to inculcate clear. your children into the social norms and the moral norms. Yeah, a little bit, right? But but I don't I don't think that's bad because I think that if that movie taught me anything, it's that it's that what heroes do is sacrifice for other people and mm-hmm. they care deeply for you know the improvement of their community and their world. Yeah, uh, and sometimes they just wear you know underwear on the outside while doing it. But that doesn't change the fact that that's kind of the the moral north of the compass yeah. to help other people as much as you possibly can, even at your own, you know, your own sacrifice or risk. Mm-hmm. And so, not only would I show that because it's very much part of my childhood and I love it, and I hope that you know whatever child I have is into superheroes because then I could talk to someone about being into superheroes in my household. Not that my wife won't, uh, but because I think that there's some real value in that stuff. I mean, it's kind of the nature of what I think stories and myths are supposed to do in the first place. Yeah. And then number one on your list is also number one on my list. I've got a slight addition, so I'll let you jump in first. Uh, it's Ghostbusters. It absolutely is, and it's the first thing I wrote down. It could be the only thing I write down. If the purpose of reproduction is to carry on my genes, I would be lying if I didn't say that Ghostbusters was part of my very DNA. That's right. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's just necessary to do it after the reproductive act by showing a child right. Ghostbusters. Right. Uh, it's a film that ages with me. Um, which is why when you mentioned Tracy Jordan is interesting because I think he he could be in that level of like comedy that like you can find funny when you're four and then you can find funny for completely different reasons when you're 30. That's right. And and Ghostbusters, every time I watch it, I get something new. Like Peter Vinkman was just kind of funny and joked around and he had good. But now he's like this horrible like yes monster that sleeps with his students and like has puts on fake psychological experiments but is also one of the most brilliantly written funny characters i've ever seen exactly yeah Yeah, like it's still a hilarious movie right but it's hilarious for different reasons that's right on like the subtext of those jokes like yeah i mean that's why i was sort of disappointed um that ghostbusters 2 3 wasn't a hard r right because like man ghostbusters 1 should be Amen. Man, it should be. Yep. Like, they just had different MPPA people, but, like, it should be. It was not a PG film. I don't care what it says. No. Uh, it it was had, like, some sort of crazy adult themes. But I missed them because I was a kid. That's right. And, and that's okay. It was just bright and shiny, and there were ghosts, and they shot them with stuff. Yep. And then it was hilarious for different reasons when I was adolescent and different in college, and I still love it. Absolutely. Like, so I, I think your kid needs that movie. I don't know if it's going to be Ghostbusters, but... Right. But something like that. Something like Ghostbusters. So Ghostbusters was the first thing I wrote down, and I wrote down the reason for it, which is only slightly different than your reason. And as I was writing down the reason for Ghostbusters, it forced me to add another movie to the same bucket. So number one on my list is Ghostbusters slash Big Trouble in Little China. And another ages with you movie. It yeah. really does. Yeah, there's so much depth the older you get to that film. And maybe it doesn't seem like depth because it's a weird John Carpenter film yeah. about a guy yeah. who you know gets his truck stolen in yeah. Little China. But for me, the value of both of those movies is that I think it's really important to remember that ridiculous, smart, funny things have a place in the world, and they don't have to be political, they don't have to be purposeful, they, they don't have to serve some greater social cause sometimes. Sometimes just being coherent 
and a little bit witty and funny is an end in and of itself, mm-hmm. and it's okay to celebrate that stuff. Yes. Uh, that, that there is no participation in some larger structure. It is about doing fun, smart things that are a little bit outside of normal and totally act like it's okay to be a little bit outside of normal. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some confidence in that. Yeah. Um, and so I really enjoyed this question. I kind of liked thinking back about what movies stuck with me the most. You know, I took a bunch off the list. Uh, Beetlejuice, I watched a million billion times growing up, but I couldn't find a reason that resonated yeah, it's interesting to separate what you like from what I'm putting a golden on a golden record and That's shooting right. into space. That's right. Like, yeah. yeah. Some, some of the original Disney films were really powerful for me as a child, and I could see reasons for watching them, but not as powerful as the ones that we've come up with. Mm-hmm. So I, I really liked the, the point of distinction here. So thanks so much, Adam, for the question. Um, it was super interesting. Clearly caused some reminiscing on our parts, and on our behalf, we're going to grab more beer, and we'll be right back with another segment. Circus of the Stars. What's that beer in that, frankly, really cool-looking can? Uh, it is White River Brewing Company's Jam Up, which is an ale fermented with blackberries. So I'm going to give that it a That sounds shot. delicious. It does sound good. I've not got had like that. a river on the can. Well, because White River. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it just looks nice. It does look nice. No, I think it's a beautiful-looking can. Oh, he's really into he's this. He's closing his eyes. It's a Friday. It's a four, it's, right? It's yeah. super drinkable. Um, most of its taste is an aftertaste, mm-hmm. but it lingers for a while. Yeah. Um, is it overly tart? No, not at all. Okay. It's just very good. Um, the danger, I think, would be for it to go medicine-y, and I think if you like, oh, yeah. put it out in heat, it could do that. But it's just like a really pleasant like reminder that you just had a sip of that beer, mm. and you're just like... Hey, I, I remember that because it's still in my mouth. And right. then you take another sip. It's like, oh, it's there again. Cool. And it's it's just uh, it's a good feedback. Loop. White River Brewing Company repping the four one seven. It's very it's very tasty. Ghost Springfield brewed not far from this very establishment. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, while you consume that, what are we consuming auditorily? Oh God, I can't wait for this. Oh, so um, Spencer has a little PTSD from his last issue of Sports Planner, and I don't a know little? why because everyone was thrilled about the thirty two minutes on the. NCAA. NCAA. No one liked it, and I've apologized. Everyone did like it, and uh, we're going to disagree. So um, today in Sports Planner, we're going to talk about something that is an issue that I've been following as well, Uh, one of the rare sports issues that piques my interest. Right, because it's not Um, a sports issue anymore. Yeah, it's not. Uh, But uh, Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. And the the problem of politics and and the business of uh, the NFL specifically and sports in general. Yeah. Um, So I want to hear what you're talking about this. Uh, you said you're going to time yourself. Though, I'm going to time so, myself. So right. after after the the mistake that was the NCAA March Madness tournament rant, I am giving myself from the moment I start this timer, which I've not done yet, 12 minutes <laughs> to cap the amount of things that I can say on Colin Kaepernick. Okay, and I'm gonna I'm I'm turning. Wait, on the let timer. me wheel the podium into the room. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. All yeah, right. Here we go. And uh, cameras are on. So if everybody's go. everybody's good to go, that doesn't mean you shouldn't jump in. Uh, I just want you to know that I've got 12 minutes, and so we're ready to do this in three, <laughs> two, one. Okay. So in 2012, the interesting thing about Colin Kaepernick is that he doesn't burst onto the scene as a political problem, but rather as the NFL's darling. So in the 10th game of that season, the then starter for the 49ers, Alex Smith, who now plays for the Kansas City Chief, Chiefs, goes down against the Rams with a concussion. 
Kaepernick comes in to finish the game, and the game ends in a tie, which is terribly rare in the NFL. Yeah. And it feels a little bit like the beginning of the hero's journey that the hero would show up in one of the most rare of circumstances in the first place. And this sets Kaepernick on a path to popularity that is kind of unrivaled for a period of time. The next week, Kaepernick beats a vaunted Bears defense 32-7. to Doesn't just beat them. No, he trounces beats the them. shit out of them yeah. in his first official start as the 49ers quarterback. The next week, Smith is cleared to play, uh, and now we have a quarterback controversy. And yeah, because so he's back, That's but right. Kaeper- Kaepernick has the, shown serious starter promise. That's absolutely right. And so Jim Harbaugh, the then coach of the 49ers, who's now at the University of Michigan, kind of says, you know, our philosophy here is to go with the guy with the hot hand, and we've got two guys with the hot hand, and so he decides to roll with Kaepernick. Kaepernick would finish the season five— That's not your philosophy, though. Right, right. It's not your philosophy at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Clearly, that's we'll a, find that's out a later. That's fucking lie, yeah. Right. We'll find out later that didn't work at all. So Kaepernick ends up, I think, 5-2 and two that season— they make the playoffs. Not only do they make the playoffs, but in the first in his first postseason start against the Packers, he breaks the NFL single game rushing yards record for a quarterback, surpassing Michael Vick. Say what you want about Michael Vick, and there's plenty to he say. Runs as fast as a dog running away from Michael Vick. That's absolutely right. Colin Kaepernick rushes for 181 yards in that game, which is insane for a quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It's, it's insane for anyone know, to run yeah. for 181 yards yeah, in a game. I, I know enough about NFL. Yeah. Right. So not only does he break the single the single game record for rushing yards by a quarterback they win that game a couple other games they end up in the motherfucking super bowl under colin kaepernick's first seven starts functionally and they lose to the ravens only 34 to 31 so it ends up being a pretty close game oh yeah functionally on special teams Mm -hmm. you know a guy fucks up a punt return bingo bango flips the game uh and interestingly the coach of the 49ers who lose the super bowl is jim harbaugh the coach of the ravens who win the super bowl is john harbaugh they're brothers so you know do what you want for that so uh, that's 2012. They lose the Super Bowl. They come back in 2013. Alex Smith uh, ends up with the Kansas City Chiefs. They don't need him anymore because the 49ers have decided that they're going to roll with Colin Kaepernick. Great news for me as a Chiefs fan because while I have reservations about Alex Smith, he's largely been an excellent quarterback, quarterback for us. Kaepernick goes 12-4 that season as a starter. Takes the 49ers back to the NFC Championship game where they lose to the eventual Super Bowl champions, Seattle Seahawks, and it is not by any means a rout. In fact, they're in the game, marching down the field to tie or win the game, and Kaepernick's pass in the end zone gets tipped and it gets intercepted with like 30 seconds left shutting the game down. Again, they're plays away from making the Super Bowl for a second time under the guy. In one and a half seasons, then, to be clear, Kaepernick is 17-6 and six as an NFL starter, which is exceptional, broke several team and NFL records for rushing and yards passing, and had played in two NFC championships and a Super Bowl. This is a resume of the gods, functionally. A, yeah, a all of this is to establish that um, he is a good quarterback That's by right. any objective measure. By any objective measure. So good, in fact, that the next season, the 49ers give him a six-year contract worth up to $126 million in you know qualifying in qualification so if he meets a bunch of benchmarks you know i think there's like up to 50 something million guaranteed if he meets some benchmarks up to and then 15 million guaranteed off the top the problem is the 49ers go eight and eight in this season because there were some changes on the team generally and after that season jim harbaugh who is widely regarded as a quarterback whisperer someone who is capable of pulling the best out of colin kaepernick's unique style leaves for the university of michigan because that's where he played college ball under bo schimbeckler and it's a great opportunity for him uh, by week nine of the next season, Kaepernick is struggling so thoroughly under their new system and under the new head coach, who I think at the time was Jim Tom Sula, that he loses his starting job to Blaine Gabbert, who was widely regarded as like one of the bigger quarterback busts of the NFL in the last couple of years. And yeah, but you need to be uh, 
you need to be a very good coach to get a lot of it a quarterback who can rush eight, 181 yards right. in a game. And who might, in like, fact, that's a very different offense. Very than, different offense. Yeah, what you're doing with a Kurt Warner or something. That's right. Who might be better, in fact, rushing in some instances than throwing. Yeah. And that is not the standard mold of a quarterback. So just, just to clarify the timeline here, Kaepernick plays his first game as a starter in 2012. By midseason 2015, he is benched for Blaine Gabbert, who was taken early out of the University of Missouri by the Jacksonville Jaguars, was immediately after a year or two as the Jaguars becomes a backup in San Francisco and has now replaced Kaepernick. But Kaepernick has a shoulder injury, correct? He does, and he goes down, and so he ends up sitting the rest of the season out. Um, Then we hit 2016, and in 2016, things really change. Before a 2016 preseason game, Kaepernick sits down during the national anthem. After the game, when asked why, he responds... Takes a knee, correct? No, he sits oh, down sits on first. the bench this yeah. time. Right. Yeah, the first time he sits on the bench. After the game, when asked why, he responds, I'm not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. To me, this is bigger than football, and it would be selfish on my part to look the other way. There are bodies in the street and people getting paid leave and getting away with murder. So this is in response to all of the... all Many of the events which precipitated the Black Lives Matter movement and then the emergence of the Black Lives Matter movement. Kallernack is... Colin Kaepernick is, of course, uh, of mixed race background, mm-hmm. and so this probably resonates with him on a, you know, on certainly on a deeper level. Uh, but also, it's his way of kind of like standing protest in a very what he believes patriotic sense. To your point, Caleb, during the last preseason game, he kneels rather than sits on the bench because he he hears the outcry from people saying that it is an offense to the military and those that risk their lives on on behalf and in service to the country. And so rather than sit, he kneels to show that he he believes in those people, but he still doesn't believe in the ritual of the national anthem. Yeah. Uh, Over the course of the season, a bunch of other athletes and not just 49ers and not just football players take similar actions kind of to stand, you know, in solidarity with Kaepernick. And at various times in the months that followed, and this is kind of the interesting thing here, Kaepernick's jersey is at one time both the best-selling jersey in the NFL on NFL.com's official NFL shop, and in a poll of fans, Kaepernick is also voted the most disliked player in the NFL, which only proves that the NFL has a massive spectrum of fans, and you can live on both sides of that spectrum fairly easily, and that you can make money for a thing and not be liked for a thing at the same time. In March of 2017, which is a point I'm coming back to. Right. In March of 2017, then, which would be the next season or the beginning of this season that we're currently in, Kaepernick, recognizing that he's done in San Francisco, he's not going to get playtime, he opts out of his contract to become officially a free agent so that he can find better opportunities to make money for himself with other NFL teams. So that was at this point five That can actually ago. coach him. That's right. And it's widely known that it's a coaching issue, not, his, his, not a him issue. There is certainly some evidence, some of which we've already discussed, to suggest yeah. that when in the right system, Colin Kaepernick can not only thrive, but can be a top-tier quarterback in the the NFL. Right? We were were talking about Colin Kaepernick in 2012 and 2013 as redefining what it means to be an NFL quarterback. Now we're talking about whether or not Colin Kaepernick will end up on a roster. And it's not so subtly because uh, his his political stance, right? So So we're recording this on August 20... No, August 12th. August 12th. Yep. Uh, When's the deadline again? Well, the, well, the, there is no deadline in theory for signing him because he's a free agent. So, okay. so he could be picked up in the middle well, of the, the season. season. The season starts September seventh or September eighth with the cheats against. Chiefs and it's insane not to be signed at this point for well, it's free game training. Absolutely, it, because the preseason has already started. Most teams have already yeah. played their first game or are playing their first game today. Yeah, you're deep into the preseason. What's even more absurd is that a number of teams have needed quarterback help this off season because of injuries or because they've lost players to other teams. For example, a few and, weeks and ago, and to be clear, there's not just one quarterback. No. You have a backup, another backup. 
plus yeah. clipboard backups. That's right. M- most teams this early into the preseason staff up to four or five quarterbacks because you're giving a bunch of people opportunities. Your starter, your likely backup, and then a bunch of people competing for that third and fourth position. Yeah. At a minimum, most teams stack three quarterbacks throughout the res- regular season. Um, you know, c- kind of to the point, a couple of weeks ago, Ryan Tannehill, who's the quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, went down with what looks like season ender- a season-ending knee injury. I think he's going to have surgery, which will probably keep him out the bulk of the season, if not all of the season. And rather than sign Kaepernick, who's clearly the best available option. And healthy. Right. The Miami Dolphins went to get Jay Cutler, who had taken a who's broadcasting retired. job. And, and, <laughs> and no one really looks fondly on in the annals of NFL history. One caveat here, because I don't want to be that guy. Um, The head coach for the Miami Dolphins is Adam Gaze. Adam Gaze was the uh, offensive coordinator in Chicago on Jay Cutler's best year as a quarterback. So Mm -hmm. there is a relationship there. But there are other instances of a similar thing happening. For example, the Baltimore Ravens signed a third-string quarterback a couple of weeks ago who has thrown precisely two passes um, in his career. Right, He's largely been a bench writer everywhere he's been. And people are looking around going, okay, that guy's thrown two passes. This guy took you to a Super Bowl and two NFC Championship games. What happened? And the real, ha- the real answer is, you know, what happened is Colin Kaepernick made a protest against a thing, which, you know, I, I don't want to editorialize too much here. Uh, agree with him or not, it, it, it is a patriotic act. I mean, that's kind of the nature of this whole dissent-based thing, right? Uh, and uh, The flag you have, quote-unquote, according to the fans, disrespected, protects yeah, your rights to do so that's absolutely in order right. to better the flag. Right. In yeah. fact, the, the, the uh, economic capitalistic motive for the thing has become so clear as of late that John Harbaugh, the coach of the Ravens, whom beat Kaeper- who beat Kaepernick in the Super Bowl some years ago, and uh, their, their general manager, Ozzie Newsom, I think, have both come out and said, look, we, we think he could be a major asset to the team. In fact, they have one of the highest quarterbacks in the NFL, Joe Flacco, on contract. Kaepernick's numbers, pound for pound over the last couple of years, are much better than Flacco's. Yeah. Um, but the rumor is Steve Bishotti, the owner of the Ravens, uh, will not sign Kaepernick because he realizes there's a financial and a political risk involved, especially in a political hotbed like Baltimore, where they've certainly had you yeah. know, some of the issues which contribute to the cause. So this isn't sports talk radio. We don't have to beat around the bush here. This is objectively racism in politics, right? Because the money argument, he sells more merch than anybody else out of the entire league. That's not there. Plus, the money argument is often presupposed as the end goal of the winning argument, the competitive argument. And objectively, he's better than people that have starting positions. Right. Not to mention people in like third, fourth, fifth position on a team. Right. So like there's no there's no explanation that has been brought forth that isn't bullshit at this point. So correct? Most of them are bullshit. I don't know I don't know that I would categorically say it's racism in in, in politics and football. I th- I certainly think racism a, and or. Yeah. Politics. I yeah. think the other half of it is you've got um, Steve Bishotti and other owners, I think all of whom, many of whom are old white guys, looking around and probably listening to a group of people who say, man, you can't sign him. You know, he's a political hot button and you don't want to bring a political hot button into your organization. It's bad for your media coverage. It's bad for your base of fans who are at the core of like the conservative old white guy watching football. But that Look at also Sterling. What if he dates your wife? That's right. That's right. Yeah. But, but to your point, that ignores what I think is the larger issue here, which is yeah. And if that and, and if you're right about appeasing a base, then success in jersey sales and success on the field are the things which generate generate revenue for you. We've got seven seconds left, and so I think that ignores <laughs> some of the nuance and relies on a stereotypical, antiquated view of who it is that watches football and why they watch football. There's also this really bad report that suggests that Kaepernick has been a that's my timer going off has been <laughs> a reason why people are watching less football. It is 
one of the most gross abuses of statistics I've ever seen. I've gone 10 seconds over. <laughs> Frankly, I think that we all won here. Uh, and so you can thank me in the comments. Okay, with that news, uh, we're going to get another beer. We'll be back for Drunk Enough in just a second. Spencer, that jam up was so good, I just slammed it. Right. And we have a a unique bottle today. We got so super what lucky. are we drinking? Man, we're all trying this shit live yeah. because we're super all lucky. All three of us. That's right. At the same time, it's the Stillwater Rule times three, which could be really risky. <laughs> but uh, if you if you follow me on Twitter at Egon Zord, a couple of weeks ago, I tweeted out that I have the best friends at, with a picture of a bottle of New Belgium's Wood Cellar Reserve Le Creek Noir. Uh, and so I've got to give like a big shout out to Janice McCambridge and Mark Wanacott, who went to a special event at the New Belgium Tasting Room in Asheville for this very bill, this very beer, and we're we're able to get a bottle of it to us. It's like the Stranahan snowflake of beer. Like once a year, show up to a special place, yeah. buy a ticket, stand in line, right? Go to an event to the get roller this bottle of, of beer, and, and we so, are super grateful for it. We're so so grateful and very lucky to have cool people who are willing to do that for us. And so we're all going to try this live. Very excited before we jump into drunk enough. So here's to Mark and Janice for sending us this really cool beer that we probably wouldn't have otherwise been able to try. And I hope we don't hate it. And we're taking a sip as we see. Mm. Not at all. Oh my god, that is really good. Oh, oh my god, man, that tastes every dollar. That's a that is a hard Saturday. It's a hard Saturday. Yeah, that yeah. that that's might a be good tart. The, that might be the finest. Yeah, it's very tart. Yeah, it's a good tart, good sour. Yeah. That might be the one of the two or three finest sours I have ever had. It's edging sour, like it's getting to like too much for yeah, Caleb, right? But, but it, it gets right there. It doesn't go. It doesn't go too far. I don't need a safe word yet. It's <laughs> it's just really pushing my envelope. I like it a lot. Oh my god, that's mm. delicious. Mm. That's really good. Well, thank, thank you so you. much for yes. sending that. We're and because it comes in an extra large bottle, we're all getting functionally full glasses of this while we jump into drunk enough. And Caleb, what are we talking about? So to be clear, we started this episode. With no drunk enough time. We didn't have a plan. We were just, we we're like, we, we racked our brains for hours. We couldn't think of one. But came to us midway through, and it's something near and dear to my heart. Right. You know, after reading my 496 page RPG book. Right. Tom. Um, RPG Tome. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, exegesis. So uh, this is less ethical, but maybe it'll get in there. I don't know. It's less philosophical it's than normally aesthetic. we do. Yeah, it's aesthetic, yeah. which we do on Drunk Enough. Um, when do you cut? Yeah. Yeah. When and and I think the sub question well, here is, the sub question here is what happens when the topic demands more? Yeah. But your personal artistic success demands less. That's right. That's right. Uh which is um so I know how I answer this. Right. And D- my answer is never. Right. Or more more accurately, what's cutting? Yeah. Um so Maybe I'm not the best person to talk about this, but I know I'm bad at it. Like, I recognize my faults in this. Sure. Uh, but I think it's super interesting. I do, too. It's, I, it's a question I fail at on a daily basis. So w- one of the reasons, just to put all of our cards on the table alongside these beautifully delicious beers, uh, one of the reasons this came up is because I was about to record another sports explainer, which you just listened to, hopefully. Um, and then didn't immediately turn off the podcast and, and get rid of your Patreon. It was really good. You could have gone longer. Um, 
Uh, but but if you've been listening for some time, you know that a couple of episodes ago, at this point probably many episodes ago, um, I spent like f- six or seven calendar years talking about NCAA March Madness, and I have since had some irrational guilt about that every day. You went to the bathroom, and Ross and I kept talking about the Colin Kaepernick thing. Right. Because like there was that much more to say. Like, right. We were off mic. Yeah. And we were like, oh, I don't know. Like, we, were, we were jabbered about For it. For sure. I, I have artificially imposed some overly constrictive restraints on myself in, in the wake of what I thought was a, a an unreasonable lack of editing on my part. And it feels artificial because you use the term. Right. But is artificiality necessarily right. bad? Because here's the thing: I don't yeah. think I don't think it's all that artificial. Because part of it is motivated by, you know, unfortunately we don't get to hear from all of you all of the time, or maybe fortunately, depending on what some of you would would say. Yeah. But we do get to hear from some people a lot, and some people have said to me that like sometimes we run long on things, or that maybe there's a more perfect amount of time for which this podcast would run. It would be more like an hour to an hour 15, or an hour to an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And we often kind of like eclipse that hour and a half going into the hour and 40 or whatever, um, because we get verbose on some stuff, and we get drunk, and then we really want to talk about things, and we're interested in whatnot. And so part of me wonders, and, and I have said the whole time we've done this, you know, I'm the air quote noob here, right? I, I'm the least experienced of this. And so on a number of occasions, I've made comments like, well, we should try to only go eight or ten minutes on this segment. And producer Ross has, has maybe rightly pointed out in many instances, yeah, but people want, want more content, and so giving them more content isn't bad. And so for me, there is this constant you know, left-devil, right-devil, left-shoulder, right-shoulder thing uh, about when is it okay for us to talk a little longer than maybe I think that we should probably be talking to keep things into an artificial window of an hour or an hour and 15, as compared to, look, a lot of people are paying for this content, so talking more, if we have more to say, not just to talk more, but if there's more stuff to talk about, mm-hmm. is part of the deal here, which yeah. is people are paying for more time, more, more energy, more thought. And I got to be honest with you, I don't fucking know the answer. My instinct, and I'm looking, I'm looking for feedback from the two of you. I'm also looking for feedback from listeners. My instinct is to go a little bit shorter, I guess, and keep episodes like a little bit shorter so it doesn't feel like rambling. Leave them wanting more, perhaps. Maybe, yeah. Maybe I don't know. Um, look, people. When people listen to us, I don't think they're like, God, I want more of that. You know, what I mean, like sometimes I go, Whoa, come on, guys. But clearly, people do. I guess. Um, I. I think what it's – I just want to make sure that this, the stuff we're filling time with is good stuff, and so I get really worried that sometimes if it feels like it's eclipsed, eclipsed what is my internal clock of this has gone on too long? Yeah. Is that me going, because I've artificially imposed a window on myself, or is that because the thing we're talking about has probably gone on too long? And I don't fucking know. I really like talking about it in terms of the podcast because when I do other things, like, say, writing a book, like, there's a third factor, which is the economic concern. So, like, uh, we can argue about whether Red Markets is too long aesthetically. Right. Um, we can't argue about whether Red Markets is too long economically. Because right. it was – I should more. It should have been three books. Right. Like, I've, I've made a clear mistake right. in that regard. I did it knowingly. Yeah. Because um, I – I I've prioritized aesthetics, but oh oh god yeah we under no under no circumstances right. should it be that long economically, but with a podcast, I don't value my time that much right to well, be like between two to one forty five or one forty five to thirty like fifteen minutes for me right it doesn't twist my arm that hard I I really think it's a determinant upon like what will be received better in the aggregate whole of listenership. Sure. 
if it is shorter right. due to the limitations of the human attention span right. versus what does this topic need? Uh, and we have our structure imposing its own stuff like that. So I think it's really interesting here because it is basically – it's purely based on content. Yes. When we discuss it in, in terms of the, of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't cost more money to <laughs> reproduce the podcast if it's two hours. Like, I mean, you've got gigs and stuff and storage space. but um, Well, the, the thing is, the way I see it, the cutting content uh, – and we'll just focus on podcasts right now uh, – is done primarily for two reasons. One, historically, uh, obviously, the antecedent of podcasts are is radio, mm-hmm. and that and the 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 way the reason you cut thing is for commercial reasons, mm-hmm. i.e., mm-hmm. For, to make space for commercials and right. to have room. Like everything, it was a very it, it followed a formula. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, as a podcast, we are free from that. We don't have to worry about other podcasts on this particular RSS feed. Uh, that you know we we're not doing that. Um, yeah, it's sort of a unique historical situation too. Like, it's a new not thing. yeah. There's not very much art that deals with that. Like even right. in, even in theater, you only have the theater booked for a certain number of hours. Right. Like, and keep in mind, talk radio, for example, most talk radio shows are like four hours long. Right. They're a block, major blocks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like uh, you know, Rush Limbaugh talks for four hours a day every mm-hmm. weekday. Uh-huh. So unfortunately, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's twenty hours a week. Right. Um. So we, so people, and but that brings up the second concern. The reason why you cut content is for format. Yeah, uh, you you take a format, a particular type of show, and you cut to that thing. So like we're doing talk radio, which at, as our antecedents are very long. They mm-hmm. run longer because people listen to them primarily while they're doing something else. They're commuting. They're working on something boring, or I mean, not boring, but something that they can listen to you while can, they work. You can process text while you do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are types of formats where you would want to cut more. For example, Night Vale is a podcast that follows the radio serial format, mm-hmm. and they do 30-minute episodes. And so if they get much longer than 30 minutes, that doesn't fit the The narrative format. has a beat. The narrative, and you're yeah. missing beats if you go too you're, long. You're, you're changing if you do an hour-long radio. And there are hour-long radio serial uh, sure, podcasts. Sure, And they have a different dramatic structure, but they follow that formula too. So those are the two primary reasons why you would cut it. So we're not... And and then the third reason would be the actual quality of the content. You obviously don't want anything that is, uh, per, you know, perpendicular. Some something that is not congruent to the actual content of the show. Right. So, yeah, so format wise, we try and stay symmetrical with other sections, except for this section. Of so yeah. our discussion uh, of like, so that what we, should we talk about? That would be cut because we, we yeah we yeah, yeah 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 yeah. And we are our, our way we cut content is to not record it in the first place. Right. So yeah. our discussions in between segments when we're not recording, that's how we. Right. So we're cutting stuff all the time. Which most of the stuff you wouldn't want to hear in the first place, I would assume. Yeah. That's exactly right. Although and sometimes some of my best jokes are in between takes, and that's the most. Well, that's the thing. There's always going to be quality left on the cutting room floor, so yeah. to speak, either because it's not recorded or because it was cut for this one of the, the other best reasons. Sour I've ever had. It, um, it's phenomenal. I, I I like it. Yeah. <laughs> it's phenomenal. As someone who feels like I've had a bunch of sours, and I know that I haven't even begun to like scratch the surface of all of the sours, but I feel like I've had and a lot. Only because you're only consuming every single one you can find. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. yeah. This is <laughs> this is exceptional. Um, to get back to the kind of core of the topic, then I, I'm with you on much of that, and and I appreciate that by and large, producer Ross, you are the one 
when I'm feeling a little antsy about how long things have gone or I'm kind of like curtailing other conversations, you're kind of the first one to be like, yeah, well, you know, it's just more content and that's that's okay. That's kind of the nature of the beast. That's the feedback I've consistently gotten from listeners. Right, right. I mean, I've posted six-hour actual play episodes. That were and that's wonder- what I was going to ask about. I yeah. wonder I wonder if, well, obviously, some of that is, you know, your, your viewer for this thing. Listener. Yeah. You, you, well, I mean, like literally the way in which you see all of this mm-hmm. is, you, you know, the glasses that you wear are partially because your background is in a much longer form medium. I mean, the actual play is much longer. Is much longer. And so uh and again, you know, I'm I'm the ignorant one here, I understand, but I don't know as many podcasts as the two of you, probably as many podcasts as many of our listeners. And so what I get concerned about irrationally or not, artificially or not, is are we talking literally talking ourselves out of the market for some people? By being too long on things. Mm-hmm. And like the answer is, I literally don't know. So sometimes I'm just guessing best based on what I'm feeling in the moment. But that's not rational because I also drink a lot of beer before, during, and after recording this. I shouldn't make any decisions about what is right or wrong in the in the process of recording. Maybe that's a factor where I'm at. Like when I go too long in writing RPGs or if I go too long talking in a discussion for drunk enough. Right. Um, it's a negative capability, isn't it? Like... Definitely with Patreon, because, whoa, you don't have a track out stats. You don't have any information you'd need to figure that out in terms right, of market right. metric. Not a lot of If good I'm judging, there. like, the demands of the topic and what I want to say versus the m- demands what would be best for me as an artist producing this medium, like cutting one way versus cutting another. Right. Um, on the latter half of that, what's best for me artistically, like... When people drop out because it's too long yeah. or drop out because of a certain subject Have you gotten matter, feedback like that? No, I've not. Exactly. And that's the thing. Right. Yeah. But yeah. that's the thing. Because I haven't gotten feedback on it doesn't mean it hap- doesn't right. happen. Right. It's a negative capability. Because we've lost it's an, it, Yeah, it's an invisible number. Right. Have it's you looked inv- at the Patreon exit surveys? Uh, I should have to make one of those first. So, no, no, no. That, uh, <laughs> uh, that's actually a capability of Patreon where when you leave a patron, they ask you, uh, that's on your dashboard, actually. I'll, we'll talk about it after the show. But well, we've not the lost a ton of backers, though. Yeah, yeah. But we re- produce a ton of free content, though, to get people in. And I, I will never know who we could have got right. but didn't because yeah, we did something The thing is, our, our yeah. audiences are so small, technically, that we're basically at the point audiences – Look for the type of show that they want to consume, and then listen to that. So, like, if you're if you're in the market for short podcasts, there's a ton of them out there. But there's a lot of people who want longer podcasts, and there's more than enough that we haven't even reached saturation for that audience. Yeah, no, right. I agree. But like, I what I'm bringing this up because I'm running myself sort of this heroic narrative of like I always value the art. Right. Over how I am perceived, for I am true. Like I, I've, I've sort of write myself as this heroic character, sure. when in fact, like the economic incentive, the artistic incentive, the cultural perception incentive I would have to do otherwise yeah. is largely invisible for me. I'm basically saying, like, I'm choosing not to do this when I literally can't see this. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, right. Maybe I'm just full of shit. Like, maybe I just like to talk a whole bunch. And I have no other incentive not to because I don't hear any otherwise. Right. Like, well, I think it could be and, both. And, and it could be the same thing on the RPG spectrum. Yeah. Maybe I wrote a big ass RPG book not because it was necessary, right? Uh, and maybe because it was counterintuitive, right? But because I'm never going to hear otherwise, right? And no, no, yeah, maybe because no one that you respect told you, "Oh my God, don't do that." You yeah. know what I mean? You were just like, "Well, look, here I go." I mean, you've certainly had editors. Laura has, by all accounts, done like a literally phenomenal job of taking even more that you'd written. 
and getting rid of it or condensing it into a more productive way. And there way. is a point at which, like, cutting is artistically and aesthetically necessary. Mm-hmm. And Laura did her Improving absolute the quality best of the concert, at that yeah. and improved the quality of the book immeasurably, and I cannot state that right. clearly enough. But at the same time, like... Um, I didn't write it in the first place because I thought it was bullshit. Right. No, no, like, no. Totally. You know what I mean? So, like, there's got to be a level to which I'm that blind. Yeah. And maybe I'm still that blind. You and know what it, I mean? It could be that. And, like, maybe part of part of my uh, insecurity or guilt or whatever the fuck we're talking about here, uh, that, that where some of this comes from uh, is the issue that, like, I do listen to some other podcasts. And as I listen to some other podcasts... And this is not about to be like some subtweet to producer Ross, like edit this thing more. This is like I do listen to other produced podcasts where things are cut out and time is, you know, so, some things, some things have obviously, obviously been taken out to keep things into a time limit. And we just don't do that. And it's not because producer Ross, well, we, we, cut, we cut an episode. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's not because we've asked producer Ross to do that and he doesn't. It's like, no, I mean, we want to get the full swath of the conversation we're having on air, good or bad. And sometimes bad. Well, the thing... Also, also oh. we don't just do bits. Yeah. Like, it isn't joke followed by joke followed by no. joke. I know in fact, we're in the comedy section, because I don't know what else the hell you would call this, but like we do have some pretty complex rhetorical It's often not funny at all. From, from yeah. the perspective of the listener <laughs> right. of a podcast, the, the key quality is actually uh, consistency in the sense that you do not bait and switch. If you... we mm, you, the, yeah. the format of uh, Mix 6 has been pretty stable, since the beginning. And so when somebody right. listens to the first episode and they're like, oh, well, I like this format, then I'll keep listening to it. And then you didn't change to like a 30-minute condensed podcast 10 episodes later, right. which may not suit the needs or the desires of the, that listener. So I think When we change formats, we just do a different podcast. Yeah. That's yeah. really been I, our Exactly. And that's though. how you should do it. Yeah. Like yeah. Once, once you set up a format, like – and if you don't give listeners a big like, okay, we're changing everything, or here's here here's what here's our deal, here's what we do here. Right. Yeah. If you like this, keep listening. I think that's the biggest thing for a listener because podcast listeners have an essentially an infinite number infinite. of options. Uh, yeah. So they get to they get to be very picky and they get to choose what oh I want to listen to a fifteen minute condensed very intelligent architecture podcast oh 99 right. invisible um or i want to listen to a long smart stuff yeah mm-hmm. uh or i want to listen to like two hours of people reviewing beers and talking about board games and stuff mm-hmm. oh i'll listen to the mix six and that's it, it you have to think of it entirely from the perspective of the podcast listener because they have so many podcasts to choose from they're not going to be sentimental about it right you know there's very yeah. few that are actually going to know us on any level right and so they're just looking for the thing that will entertain them Mm-hmm. The most for for to fill scratch that itch. I yeah, guess, as exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. and so, maybe that helps a little bit. Maybe consistency as a metric is probably better. They don't than, care about how much work we do or how little work we do. They right. just care as about as they get what as long as they get a good show out right, of it. Right. Uh, that's all that matters. Right, and by and large, I think we're we're good show ish. You know, I, it's right. well in cap as as we previously established. If you can show a not money number to it, then it's then it's objectively well, must therefore this, be true. I mean, it, it started <laughs> off that way, but now I'm starting to be into aware of how self-indulgent this topic is right. so let's yeah. cut it i'm right. cutting it right here for aesthetic reasons because yeah. i am a pure artist who who <laughs> acknowledges nothing else except the pure aesthetic form 
like, not unlike a platonic hero. Right. Um, okay, so what would you say about that, Spencer, to take us out of the episode? Because we're cutting it right I now. would probably say, listen, if you've been around for any of this rambling in the first five segments, which were a little more coherent and a little bit quicker, uh, <laughs> and what, what we're calling Drunk Enough in this segment, thanks so much for listening, uh, it means that you've been, you're, you've been with us for at least the amount of time this took and hopefully for other episodes as well. If you're not following us or supporting us on Patreon, that's totally cool. We appreciate you just listening. If you are a backer of any level on Patreon, thank you so much for what you do. It allows us to do this and a whole lot of other stuff that I hope you're listening to as well, including Hot Takes on Ice and Snippets of Adventure. If you're not following us on Twitter, give us a shout out at, at The Mix 6. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Mix 6. Check out our website, www.themix6.com. And if you've not rated and reviewed on iTunes, feel free to do that. Or also, Stitcher. I've noticed that, yeah, we're not doing well on Stitcher, doing great on Stitcher, which is a little bit heartbreaking. Not A, because we're not doing well, and B, because I wasn't even thinking to look at Stitcher until a few weeks ago, and when I did, it made me sob. We might, we might have made this problem ourselves. We might have. But help us correct it together. Absolutely. Um, listen, if you've been around for any amount of time, thanks so much for everything that you do in supporting us. It makes all of this possible. Once again, uh, this is The Mix 6. I'm Spencer. I'm Caleb. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>